Frankenstein by Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley Chapter 3 When I had attained the age of 17, my parents resolved I should become a student at the university in Golostat. I hitherto attended the schools of Geneva, but my father thought it necessary for completion of my education. I should be more acquainted with other customs of those of my native country. The departure was therefore fixed at an earlier date, but before the day resolved upon could arrive, the first misfortune of my life occurred, an omen, if it were, of my future misery. Elizabeth had caught the scarlet fever, her illness was severe, and she was in in the greatest danger. During her illness, many arguments had been urged to persuade my mother to refrain from attending upon her. She had at first yielded to her entries. But when she heard that the life of her favourite was menaced, she could no longer control her anxiety. She tended her sickbed, her watchful intentions, triumphant of malignity of the distemper. Elizabeth was saved. The consequence of this impertinence was fatal to her preserver. On the third day, my mother sickened. Her favour was accompanied by the most alarming symptoms and looks of her medical attendants prognosticated the worst event. On her bedbed, the fortitude and benignity of this best of women, women did not desert her. She joined the hands of Elizabeth and myself. My children, she said, my firmest hopes of future happiness placed in the prospect of your union. This expectation will now be the consolation of your father. Elizabeth, my love, you must supply my place to my younger children. Alas, I regret I am taken from you, and happy and beloved as I have been. It has been not, it's not hard to quit you all. But these are not faults befitting me. I endeavour to resign myself cheerfully to death, and indulge in the hope of meeting you in another world. He died calmly, account its expression, affection even in death. And he did not describe the feelings of those who desire its ties are, are rent by the most irreparable evil. A void that presents itself to the soul, despair that is exhibited on the countenance. It is so long before the mind can persuade itself. A she who we saw every day and whose very existence appeared a part of her own can have departed forever. That the brightness of the beloved eye can have been extinguished. The sound of a voice so familiar and dear to the ear can be hushed. Never more to be heard. Those are the reflections of the first days. But when the lapse of time provides the reality of <coughs> then the actual bitterness of grief commences. Yet from whom has not the rude hand rent away some dear connection? And why should I describe a sorrow which all have felt and must feel? The time at length arrives when a grief is rather an indulgence than the necessary, and the smile that plays upon the lips, though it may be deemed a sacrilege, is not banished. My mother was dead, but we had still duties which we ought to perform. We must continue our course, the rest, and learn to think ourselves fortunate, whilst one remains whom the spoiler has not seized. My departure from Ingo Lestrat 
which have been deferred by these events, and now again determined upon. I obtained from my father a respite of several weeks. It appeared to me sacrilege, so soon to leave repose akin to death of the house in the morning and to rush into the thick of life. I was new to sorrow, but it did not the less alarm me. I was unwilling to quit the sight of those that reminded me remained to me above all as I had to see my sweet Elizabeth in some degree cons- consoled. She indeed veiled her grief and strove to act the discomfort of all of us. She looked steadily in life and assumed its duties with courage and zeal. She devoted herself to those whom she had been taught to call her uncle and cousins. Never was she so enchanting at this time when she recalled the sunshine of her smiles and spent them upon us. She got even her own regret and her endeavours to make us forget. The day of my departure at length arrived. Curvell spent the last evening with us. He had endeavoured to persuade his father to permit him to accompany me or come my fellow student, but in vain. His father was a narrow-minded trader and sought idleness and ruin in aspirations ambition of his son. Henry deeply felt the misfortune of being debuffed from a liberal education. He said little, but when he spoke, I read in his kindly kindling eyes that his animated glance of restrained but firm resolve not to be chained to the visible details of comments. We sat late. We could not tear ourselves away from each other, persuade ourselves to say the word farewell. It is said and we tired under the presence of seeking repose, each fancying that the other deceived. But at, when at morning's dawn I ascended the garage, which was to convey me away, they were all there, my father again to bless me, Cavell to press my hand once more, my Elizabeth from new trees, and I often write upon, often, and to bestow the last firm intentions of my play, uh, playmate and friend. I threw myself in the chase that was to convey me away, indulged in the most melancholy reflections. I, who had ever been surrounded by animal companions, continually engaged in endeavouring, Bestow mutual pleasure. I was just I am now I was now alone. In the university wherever I was going I must form my own friends and be my own protector. My life had hitherto been remarkably secluded and domestic. This had been given me invincible repugnance to new countenances. I loved my brothers Elizabeth and Cadell Cabell. Those were old familiar faces, but I believed myself totally unfitted for the company of strangers. Such was my reflections as I commenced my journey, but as I proceeded my spirits and hopes rose. I had only desired an acquisition of knowledge. I had often, when at home, thought it hard to remain during my youth cooped up in one place and had longed to enter the world and take my station among the other human beings. Now my desires were compelled with. It would indeed have been a folly to repent. I had subsequent leisure for those and many other reflections during my journey to Ingo Lestrat. 
which was long and fatiguing. At length the high wheel white steeple of the town met my eyes. I lighted was conducted to my solitary apartment to spend the evening as I pleased. Next morning I delivered my letters of introduction, introduction paid a visit to some of the principal professors. Chance, or other, rather the evil influence, the angel of destruction, resisted omnipotent sway over me from the moment I turned my reluctant steps from my father's door, led me first to Mr. M. Kerepi, Professor of Natural Philosophy, he was an uncouth man, but deeply imbued in the secrets of science. He asked me several questions concerning my progress in the different branches of science, obtaining to nature philosophy, natural, natural philosophy. I replied carelessly and partly contempt, mentioned the names of my alchemists as a prince of authors that I studied. The professor stared. No, here, you? He said, really spent your time in studying such nonsense? I replied in affirmative. Every minute, continued M. Caprepi, we want every instance that you have wasted on those books is utterly and entirely lost. You have burdened your memory with unexplored symptoms and useless names. Good God, in that desert land have you lived? where no one has kind enough to inform you that these fancies which you have so greedily embodied are thousands of years old, as musty as they are ancient. I little expected in this enlightenment, specific age, to find its disciple, Alvarez Magnus, and Paisilius. My dear sir, you must begin your studies entirely anew. So saying, he stepped aside and wrote down a list of several books, treating of natural philosophy, which he desired me to procure, and dismissed me after mentioning that in the beginning of the following week he intended to commence a course of lectures for natural philosophy and its general revelations, and that M. Walderman, a fellow professor, would lecture upon the chemistry as they attended days when he admitted. I returned home not disappointed, for I have said I had long considered those offers useless whom the professor preparated. But I returned not at all the more inclined to occur to those studies in my any shape. My M. Capey was a little squat man with a gruff voice and a repulsive countenance. Teacher, therefore, did not possess me in favour of his suits. In rather too philosophical and it contained a strain, perhaps I have given an account of conclusions I have come to concerning them in my early years. As a child, I had not been content with results promised by the modern professors of natural science, with confusion of ideas only to be accompanied by the, my extreme youth, by guide, want of a guide of such matters. I retrod the steps of knowledge among long the field paths of time, exchanged the discoveries of recent inquirers of the dreams of forgotten alchemists. Besides, I had a contempt for the age. Uses of nat- modern natural philosophy is very different from when the masters of science sought immortality and power. Such views among low filter were grand, but now the scene was changed, and ambition required seemed to limit itself to the nation of those visions on which my interest in science was chiefly founded. I was required to exchange cinem- cinemas of boundless gratitude 
grandeur, or realities of little worth. Such were my reflections during the first two or three days my residence in Ingolstadt, which was were chiefly spent in becoming acquainted, acquainted with localities of principal residence in my new abode. But as the ensuing week commenced, I thought that the information about M. Crappy had given me concerning the lectures. Although I could not consent to go, and hear the little conceited fellow deliver sentence out of a pulpit, I recollected that he said to of Miss M. Wolverine, whom I had never seen, he had hitherto been out of town. Partly from curiosity and partly from idleness, I went into the lecture room, room which M. Wolderman entered shortly after. First, there was a very unlike his colleague. He appeared about fifty years of age, but was an aspect expressive of the greatest prevalence of few grey hairs covered his temples, but those at the back of his head were nearly black. His person was short, but remarkably erect. His voice was the sweetest I ever heard. He began his lecture by history of the chemistry and various improvements made by different men of learning, pronouncing that further the names of the most distinguished discoverers. He took a customary view of the present state of science, explained many of the elementary terms. After having made a few preparatory experiments, including with pentagraphic polymodern chemistry, the term of which I should never forget, the ancient teachers of this, this science, he said, promised possibilities and formed at nothing. And modern masters promised very little. They know that metals cannot be transmuted, and the excellent life is a concealment. But those philosophers whose hands seem only made to devil and dirt, and their eyes to pour over the microscopic ball, have indeed performed miracles. They penetrate into the recess of nature and show how she works in the hiding place. They ascend into the heavens. They have discovered new blood circulates in the nature of the air we breathe. They have acquired new, new and almost unlimited powers. They can command the thunders of heaven, mimic the earthquake, and even shock the invisible world with its own shadows. Well, such were the professor's words, rather, let me say, such the words of fate and chance destroy me. As he went on, I felt my soul was grappling with a personal enemy. One by one, the various keys were touched, which informed the mechanism of my being. Called off, called was sounded, and soon my mind was filled with one thought, one conception, one purpose. So much had been done, claimed the soul of Frankenstein. More, far more, will I achieve, treading in the steps already marked. I would pioneer in a new way, explore unknown powers, unfold to the world the deepest mysteries of creation. I closed not my eyes that night. My eternal being was in a state of interaction, turmoil. I felt that order would hence arise, but I had no power to produce it. By degrees, after the morning dawn, sleep came, I awoke. My yesternight's faults were as a dream. I only made a resolve to return to my ancient studies and devote myself to science, for which I believed myself to it possessed a natural talent. On the same day, I paid M. Waterman a visit. His manners in private were not were even more mild and attractive than in public, for there would be a certain dignity in his main, main during his lecture, which 
in his own house was replaced by the greatest fervility and kindness. I gave him pretty nearly the same account my former pursuits had given to his fellow professor. professor. He heard from attention a little narration concerning my studies and smiled at the names of Corinius, Corinius Agrippa and Paracilius, but without contempt of M. Carapi. Carapi had exhibited. He said that these are men for whom infectable zeal modern philosophers were indebted for most of the foundations by knowledge. They had left us an easier task to give new names and range, connection, classifications of facts, which they, they in great degree have been instruments of bringing to light. The labours of men of genius, however, Elogosly directed, scarcely even ever frail in the ultimately turning the stolid advantage of human mankind. I listened to his statement, which he delivered without any presumption or reflection, and then added that his lecture removed my prejudices against modern chemists. I expressed myself in measured terms with the modesty deference of due for my youth to his instructor, without letting escape. Experience in life would make me ashamed. Any euphemism which stimulated my attended labours, I requested his advice concerning the books I ought to procure. I am happy, said M. Alderman, to have gained a disciple. If your application equals your ability, I have no doubt your success. Chemistry is a branch of natural philosophy which the greatest improvements have been and may be made. It is on that account I made it a peculiar study. But at the same time, I have not neglected the other sciences. But as a science, a man would make but a very sorry chemist be attended to the department of human knowledge alone. If you wish to become really a man of science, and not many petty experimenters, I should advise you to apply for every branch of natural philosophy, including mathematics. He then took me into the laboratory and could explain to me the uses of the various machines, including instructing me to what... I ought to procure, promising me the use of his own when I could, when I should have advanced far enough in science not to derange their mechanism. He also told me, gave me the list of books which I requested. I took my leave. I sent them for day memorable to me. It decided my fate, future destiny. Chapter 4. From this day, natural philosophy, particularly chemistry, in most coherences sense of the term, became nearly my sole occupation. I read and remember more those works so full of geniuses and discrimination, whose modern inquirers were written on these subjects. I attended the lectures and cultivated the acquaintance of a man of science at the university. I found even in M. Creepy a great deal of sound sense and real information combined. It's true with repulsive physical grammar and manners, but not so that account less valuable. valuable. In M. Ward Alderman, I found a few friends. His gentleness was never tingled by dogmatism. His instructions were given with an air of frankness and good nature, banished every idea of pen, den, tray. In, other, in a thousand ways, he smoothed for the path of acquiring knowledge and made the most of 
intrusive inquiries clear and facile of to my apparition. My apparition was first fluctuating and uncertain. It gained strength as I proceeded, and soon became because so ardent and eager that stairs, stars often disappeared light of the morning while I was yet engaged in my laboratory. As I applied so closely, I may easily concede that my progress was rapid. My more was indeed a punishment of the students of my proficiency that of the master's professor Rempe often asked me which with a slight smile how Cornelius Agrippa went on. While M. Oldman expressed the most heartfelt exultation in my progress. Two years passed in this manner, during which I paid no visit to Geneva, but was engaged, heart and soul, in the pursuit of some discoveries which I hoped to make. None that were those who experienced them to, can conceive of the enticements of science. No other science studies go as far as others have gone before you. There's nothing more to know, but in the scientific view, there is a colonial food for discovery and wonder. A mind of moderate capacity, which purely, closely pursues one study, might, must infallibly arrive at great proficiency in that study. And I, who continually sought the attained one object of pursuit, was solely wrapped up in this. Improved so rapidly that my, by the end of two years, I made some discoveries and improvements, some chemical instruments which preclude me some great scheme theme and admiration at the university when i arrived at this point and had become as well as acquainted the theory and practice of natural philosophy as independent on the lessons of any of the professors at ill goldstrat my residence was no longer conductive to my improvements i thought of returning to my friends and my native town what an instant! When an instant happened, but protracted my stay. One of the phenomenon I had taken, which had particularly attracted my attention, was structure of the human frame, and indeed any animal endured with life. Whence I often asked myself, did the principle I proceed? It was a bold question, and one that had been considered as a mystery. Yet with how many things are we upon the brink of becoming acquainted? If cowardice or carelessness did not restrain our inquiries, I resolved these circumstances in my mind, and determined, therefore, to apply myself one particularly to these branches natural philosophy, which relate to philosophy. Unless I had been emanated by an almost supernatural way of enthusiasm, my application to this study had been irksome and almost intolerable. To examine the causes of life, we must first have a course to death. I have acquainted with the science of anatomy, but this was not significant. I, mu- I must also observe the natural decay, corruption of the human body. My education, my father, taken the greatest precautions, and mine should be impressed with no supernatural horrors. I do not enter, remem- ever remember, to have trembled at a tale of superstition, or have feared the apparition of the spirit. Darkness had no effort, effect upon my fancy. A churchyard was, to me, merely a receptual body deprived of life, which, from being to seat 
with, be- with beauty and spirit, strength had become food for the worm. Now I was led to examine the cause and progress of this decay, and forced to spend days and nights in the vaults and Chardinal houses. My attention was fixed upon every object, most insupportable from the delicacy of the human feelings. I saw how the fine form of man was degraded, wasted, I beheld the crutches of death succeeded, coming cheeky of life. I saw how the worm inherited wonders of the eyes and the brain. I paused, examining and analyzing in all the miniature of castration as emphasized in the, the changes from life to death and death to life, till from the midst of this darkness a sudden light broke it upon me, a light so brilliant and wondrous, yet so simple, for which I came dizzy with the infamy of the prospect which it illustrated. I was surprised that among so many men of genius who were directed their quarries towards the same sites. What I alone should be reserved to discover to st- so astonishing a secret. Remember, I'm not recording the vision of a man-man. The sun does not more, more certainly shine in the heavens, which I am now affirmed is true. So a miracle might have produced it. The stage of discovery with its distinct probability. After days and nights of incredible labour, fatigue, I succeeded in discovering the cause of generation of life. Nay, more, I discovered myself capable of bestowing emanation upon lifeless matter. The astonishment which I had first experienced on this discovery soon gave place to my delight and rapture. After so much time and painful labour to arrive at some once at the summit of my desires with most gratifying consumption of my toils. But this discovery was so great and overwhelming that all the steps by which I had progressively led to where were elaborated, I beheld only the result. What had been the study and desire of the widest men since creation of the world has now within my grasp. Not now, not that, like a magic scene, it all opened upon me at once and the information obtained was of nature rather to direct my endeavours so soon so I could should point them towards the object of my search and exhibit that object already already accomplished. I was like the Arabian who had been buried with the dead and found a passage to life, aided only by one glimmering and seemingly ineffectual light. I see by your eagerness and wonder and hope, which your eyes express, my friend, you are acquainted to be expect to be formed as a secret, which I am acquainted and cannot be listened listen patiently till the end of my story, and you will easily perceive why I reserved upon the subject. I am not will not lead you on, unguarded and redundant, as then was to your destruction and infallible mis- misery. Learn le- 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 for me, if you, if we, not, if not be my precepts, at least at my example, so how dangerous is the acquirement of that knowledge, how much happier than that man is he, who believes his native town to be the world, which when then he was inspired to become greater 
these nature the nature will follow. When I found so astonishing a power place within my hands, I hesitated a long time concerning the manner in which I should employ it. Although I possess the capacity of bestowing emanation, yet to prepare a frame for reception of it, the ordinances of fibres, muscles, and veins all remained a work of inescapable difficulty and labour. I doubted at first whether I should attempt the creation, being like myself, or one simpler organisation. But my imagination was too much exalted. My first success to permit me to doubt of my ability to give life to an animal so as complete and wonderful as man. The materials at present within my command hardly appeared adequate, as so odious of my undertaking. But I doubted not that I should not really succeed. I, I prepared myself for multitude reverses. My operations might be intensely baffled. And my last, my work was perfect. Yet, when I considered the improvement which every day takes place in science and mechanics, I enjoy courage to hope my present attempts would be at least lay the foundation of future success. Nor could I consider the magnitude, complexity of my plan was as an argument its own impracticability. It was with the feelings I began the creation of the human being as a mutant minimus of the parts filmed great hindrance of my speed. I resolved contrary to my first intention to make the being of great stature, that is to say about eight feet in height and proportionally large. After having formed this determination, having spent some months in succeeding, collecting arranging materials, I begun. No one can conceive the variety of feeling which bore me onwards, like a hurricane in its first vision of success. Life and death appeared to be ideal bounds, which I could, should first break through and pour a torrent of light into the dark, dark world. New species would bless me as it creates and source. Many, make, many happy and excellent natures would owe their being to me. No father would claim the gratitude of his son so completely as I should have deserved theirs. Pursuing these reflections, I thought I, if I could bestow emanation upon lifeless manner, I will matter, I will make in the process of time, although I have found it impossible. Renew life where death and apparently devoted the body into to corruption. Those thoughts supported my spirits, which pursued my undertaking with remitting a more. My cheek was grown pale with study. My person had become emaciated with confinement. Sometimes on the very brink of certainty, I failed, yet still I clung to the hope which the next day or the next hour might realise. One secret I alone possessed was the hope of which I dedicated myself was the moon gazed by night labours, while with an relaxed and breathless eagerness I pursued nature to her hiding places. How, who should conceive the horrors of my recent secret toll as a dabbled along the unhallowed damps of the grave or tortured the living animal to animate the lifeless clay? My limbs now tremble, my eyes swim with a remembrance, but then a resistless, an almost frantic impulse urged me forward. I seemed to have lost my soul or sensation, but this one pursuit, it was indeed but a passing trance, only made me feel with renewed acuteness 
so soon, we had natural similes causing to operate. I had to return to my old habits, collected bones from charnel houses and distributed profane fingers, the tremendous secrets of the human frame. In a solitary chamber, or rather cell, atop of the house and separated from all the other apartments of my gallery by a gallery and staircase, I sat I kept my workshop on a field of creation. My eyeballs were starting from the sockets into tending to the details of their own my employment. The dissecting room and the slaughterhouse furnished many of my tools, and often did the, my human nature turn with loathing from my occupations, whilst still urged by all my eagerness, which perpetually increased. I brought my work near to a conclusion. The summer months passed while I was thus engaged, heart and soul, in one pursuit of its most beautiful season, nor did the fields bestow a more plentiful harvest, or the vines yield a more lucrative vintage, luxative vintage. But my eyes were insensitive to the charms of nature, and same feelings which made me regret the scenes around me caused me to forget those friends who were so many miles absent, whom I had not seen for so long a time. I knew my silence disquieted them. I still remembered the words of my father. I know that that, that while you are pleased with yourself, you will think of us with affection. We shall never readily uh, hear, we shall hear readily from you. You must pardon me if I would or my interruption in your in our current process as proof that your duty other duties were equally neglected. And you will therefore that had been my father's feelings, but I could not tear my faults from my appointment. Those in itself, which had taken my irresistible hold of my imagination, I wished, as it were, to processcate all that related to my feelings of affection, upon, until the greater object, which swallowed up every habit of my nature, should be completed. I then thought that my father would be unjust as he described my neglect, the vice of fortuneness of my part. But I now conceived that he had justified in conceiving I should not be altogether free from blame. Human being in perfection ought always to preserve a calm and peaceful mind, and never to allow passion or a transactory desire to disturb its tranquillity. I do not think that the pursuit of nature, knowledge is an exception to this rule. It is a study in which you apply yourself as a tendency to awaken your affections and destroy your taste for those simple pleasures in which no alloy can produce, possibly mix. Then that study is certainly unlawful. That is to say, not befitting human mind. If this rule was always observed, if no man followed in pursuit whatsoever were to interfere, with the tranquillity of his domestic affections, Greece had been enslaved, not been enslaved. Caesar would have spared his country. America would not been would have been discovered more gradually, and the empires of Mexico and Peru would, had not been destroyed. For I forgot that I was moralizing the most interesting part of my story, and your looks remind me to proceed. 
My father made no reproach in his letters, and only took notice my science by inquiring to my occupation more particularly than before. Winter, spring, and summer passed away using my, during my labours. I did not watch the blossom or blossom with its spanning leaves, sights that had been always yielded me supreme delight. So deeply it was a gross of my occupation. Leaves of that leer had withered before my work drew near good lows. Now every day he showed me more plainly how well I succeeded. But my enthusiasm was checked by anxiety. I appeared rather like one doomed by slavery to toll minds of another unsolicited trade than an artist occupied by his future employment. Every night I was oppressed by a slow fever. I became nervous to the most painful degree. The fall of my leaf startled me. I was stunned by fellow creatures if I had been guilty of a crime. Sometimes I grew alarmed at the wreck I perceived. I become the energy of my purpose. Alone sustained me. My labours should soon end. I believed that the exercise and amusement would then drive away in separate disease. I promised myself both of these when my creation should, should be complete.